0: You are listening to the Tom Eliff podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. How do we live with a sense of victory in what we might call otherwise a negative world? I was just uh, uh, looking at some facts before the worship service this evening. Did you know that... uh, that there are three times, well, let me me back up, you know, every one of us know how many McDonald's there are. Seems like there's a McDonald's uh, on almost every corner, right? Did you know that there are three times as many adult bookstores as there are McDonald's in the United States? Did you know that 70% of all the pornography uh, which is sold in our nation ends up, in the hands of young teenagers are children. Seventy percent of all the pornography sold in those stores. Did you know that within the next 30 minutes, in fact, uh, in about the time it's going to take us to move through the message part of this service, 228 children in America will be beaten, abused, molested by their parents. Fifty-seven children will run away. This is just in the next 30 minutes. Fifty-seven children in our nation are going to run away. Three out of four of the young girls who run away will end up selling themselves, selling their bodies on the streets just to survive. Twenty children, now these are not teenagers, twenty children in America are going to attempt to take their life in the next thirty minutes to commit suicide. Twenty children, if you can imagine that. Um, Did you know that twenty-three... Ladies, young girls, age 19 or younger will have an abortion. By the time this message is uh, finished, 23 more abortions will take place in our nation. Uh, Probably many more than that, but those are the ones that we know and have medical statistics on. 285 homes, this causes me to shudder. It breaks my heart when I think about this. But in 285 homes across this nation, while... I'm preaching this sermon, someone is going to give up on the home, either the husband, the wife, the father, the mother is going to walk out of that home and never come back again, and that home will be permanently broken. That will take place in the next 30 minutes while I'm preaching this message. This is indeed a negative world, isn't it? So how do you live with a sense of positive victory? How can you be on the on the side that says now wait a minute i know these things are happening in the world but there is some good news as well how can you walk with a spring in your step and how can you have a song in your heart and how can you live with a sense of joy and victory when this is such a negative world well that's what we're thinking about as we look at this 37th psalm we're thinking about positive living in a negative world and i'm going to ask you to stand with me i'm going to begin reading with verse 12 now tonight uh, let me say again what I have said earlier, and that is that the 37th Psalm, while it is a wonderful psalm and a psalm in which many times I find myself literally immersing myself, my, my spirit, I run back to this psalm often uh, and have over the years, and I'm, I'm so happy the Lord's given me the opportunity to preach through it now uh, for these next several services. But this psalm does not easily lend itself to, to organization or, to, or uh, there are contrasts between the righteous and the unrighteous, the righteous and the wicked, but there are clusters of thought. It, it's almost as if you can hear someone as he's speaking. Well, let me, let me tell you about the righteous. They do this and this, but of course the wicked do the following. But then on the other hand, the righteous are this way, but, but the wicked always come back, and this is the way they do, and this is... But, but you've got to remember that the righteous are taken care of in this fashion. That's about how this psalm reads. Uh, you are hearing the mind of God's Spirit as he speaks through David in this psalm. And so, with your Bible open, let's look at one of those clusters of verses which seem to contain some unity of thought, all right? You know, as you're talking to someone, you deal with one subject, then you sort of drift over to the next subject, then you drift over to the next subject. Well, we're going to lock in on one of those, uh, those clusters of verses which seems to contain a unity of thought. Begin with verse 12, the wicked... "...plots against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conduct." Or conversation, you may have the word there. "...their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A Little that a righteous man has is better..." than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Now, in these next few moments, as we think about positive living in a negative world, I want you to think with me on this subject, warnings about wickedness, warnings about wickedness. Earlier, we looked at how to brace ourselves for the battle, and there were those seven principles, you remember, that we must adhere to if we're to be braced for the battle in this negative world. So what are the warnings we need to hear about the wicked? Who are the wicked anyway? Those are the questions we're going to answer in these next few moments. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in this service in such power that the life of every one of us will be changed. Lord, I pray that you would uh, cause people who do not know Jesus as Savior to receive him tonight as their Savior and Lord. Others, Lord, who are not planted in a church home, I pray somehow you would show them the importance of being decisive about that and and, and deciding to plant themselves in this church family tonight. Others, Lord, who who need to make life-changing decisions regarding some area of failure in their life, some area of sin. For we know, Lord, that while we receive you as our Savior and as our Lord of our life, that there are times when we ourselves find ourselves doing those things ...which in your eyes are nothing more than wickedness. And so, Father, teach us how to gain victory over those things. Bring to the altar those who would say yes to you tonight. And I pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, keep your Bible open to Psalm 37. Who are the wicked? Who are the wicked? If I were to take a poll this evening and say, How many of you believe that as opposed to being righteous, you are wicked... I think uh, uh, some of you would say, well, I, I, I don't want to raise my hand and say I'm, a, I'm one of the wicked people, but then if I said, all right, how many of y'all are really righteous? You'd say, well, you know, I, I, I want to say that I'm really righteous, but I know I do things that, that are wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and I'm a, a little tossed. Am I in the category of the wicked, or am I in the category of the righteous, or is it possible for wicked people to do Righteous things, you know bad people to do good things. Well, that's possible. Well, is it possible for a righteous person to do some wicked things? Well, we know it is because we see it in the Scripture. But who are the wicked to whom uh, David is referring in this psalm? Well, let's think together. In, in this psalm, the wicked are always portrayed as the adversary of the righteous. The wicked are always the adversary of the righteous. Now, <clears throat> who in the Bible do we know quite definitely is the adversary of the people of God? Well, and, and God Himself. Well, you know the answer to that. That is Satan, the devil himself. For instance, over in 1 Peter chapter five verse eight, we read uh, this verse: "Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour." And so we know that ultimately, the arch enemy of everything that's good, everything that's right, is Satan. Now. Who are the wicked, however? Well, all of those who in essence are bound to or have sworn allegiance to Satan. Now, who is that? That is every unregenerate person, every person who has never come to know Jesus as his Savior and as his Lord. Now, if I were to take a poll out here and come to one of you who's never trusted Christ as your Savior and um, you've never opened your heart to Him and received forgiveness for your sin... And I were to ask you this evening, well, are you one of the wicked? You'd say, no, I'm not one of the wicked. How can you say, I am one of the wicked? Well, uh, maybe this illustration will help. Let's suppose that you're standing up on a mountain and you look down on either side of that mountain and you see an army. Here's an army down here. There's a king in front of that army. There is a banner that is flying there in the air, and there's the army assembled. Over on the other side of the mountain, here is the other army. There's the king. There's the banner. Here are all the soldiers, and they're ready for battle. Now, you'd see that these two armies are arch rivals. They're going to be involved in deadly combat in a few moments. And so you go out there, and uh, you decide you're going to interview one of the soldiers in one of the armies. So you make your way down the mountain, and uh, you don't want to start with the king, and and you are a little intimidated by the higher-ups in that army. And so you find yourself out here among the troops, and you've got your microphone, and you're interviewing one of these soldiers, and you ask him his name, and he tells you. And you say, now... Could you tell me what this battle is about? And here's what this man might say. He might say, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure what the issue uh, is. Well, uh, why are you going to battle? Well, I'm going to battle because I am a soldier of that king. Well, what, what's that king fighting against? Well, I, I think I know in general terms, but I don't know really. But what I do know is this. My king has decided to go to battle against that king. I am his soldier. I am in his army. Therefore, I am fighting with him. I'm not really clear what all the issues are, but I have sworn allegiance to him, and I will fight in his army to the death. Now listen, there is a locked battle. We know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, but we do know that on this earth, Satan is portrayed as the adversary. Now, who are Satan's? All those who've never received Christ as their Savior. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. So righteous, we're not born righteous and then become sinners or wicked people by committing wicked things. We commit sins. We do wicked things because wickedness is within us. We are sinners by nature. And so every person, in one sense of the word, every person in the world who has never received Christ as Savior and as Lord of his life, even though he may do good things on occasion, maybe more occasions than not. That person is cast in this one category. He does not have Jesus. Jesus is not his Lord. Therefore, Satan is his Lord. You say, well, wait a minute. What if that man never swore allegiance to To Satan. Jesus said this. He said, you are either for me or you are what? Against me. You either sow with me or you scatter abroad. So you're either in my army, Jesus says, or you're in Satan's army. Now, in this scripture, it's important for you to notice that he cast the righteous over against the wicked. Now, how does a person become righteous? Well, it's not by doing good things. How do you stay righteous? It's not by continuing to do good things. Our righteousness comes through knowing Christ personally as Savior and as Lord. What does the Bible say? He became sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made or become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Peter said, Christ also once suffered for sin, the just, that's Jesus, the righteous, for the unjust that's you and me the unrighteous that he might bring us to god he was put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit and so if we are righteous it is not because we have done enough good things to impress god it is because jesus died on the cross and we have acknowledged his death as payment for our sins and received the resurrected savior as our lord and as our savior now that doesn't mean that righteous people cannot do wicked things just as wicked people can do righteous things. And so in this psalm, David is focusing upon those who are in lock combat against the righteous, against the people of God. Now, I want to say one other thing before we look at these verses. You know from reading the Scripture that there's going to come a time when Christ is going to take the righteous, and he calls his church, Christ is going to take the righteous to heaven to be with him. When he does that, it will usher in a period of time on this earth called the days of tribulation. The church is gone. Those like you, me, who have received Christ, if you've done that, maybe you've never made that decision. You're on your way to heaven when you die, but suppose Christ came before you died. Well, he would take you, if you have received him as your Savior, take you to be with him. His bride, the church, he would take to be with him. Now, when that happens, man has had his opportunity to govern the earth, and that's failed. Satan is going to have his opportunity, and it will usher in the seven-year period called the days of tribulation. Now, friends, that is inevitable. That is going to happen. It is on God's calendar. You don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but just as all the other prophecies in the Scripture are coming true or have come true, so the prophecy that one of these days Christ will come for His church And what follows will be these days of tribulation, so that will also come true. Now, there are many people, and I need to say this before I share uh, this Bible uh, message this evening that's on my heart. There are many people who believe, well, it's inevitable. I mean, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse, and the world is getting worse and worse and worse, so why try to do anything about it? I mean, why not just fold up right now? Just, uh, why not just say, well, you know, let the wicked just be as wicked as they want. I mean, don't go out here and fight the lottery. Don't go fight abortion. Don't, don't, don't speak uh, against the evils of this day. Just, just fold it up. I mean, just, just let it go because the world's getting more and more wicked. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. I know, for instance, that one of these days this old body of mine is going to die. But that doesn't keep me from walking at least three miles every day to try to keep it in shape until it dies. It doesn't keep me from eating every day. It doesn't keep me from trying to be a Sound in my thinking about my own health even though one of these days. It's inevitable this old body is going to die Well, I know one of these days it is inevitable Jesus is going to come the church which acts like salt and light in the earth is going to be taken out the church Which has as it is the repository for the Holy Spirit will be taken out the Holy Spirit will no longer be restraining sin I know those days are going to come but between now and whenever that happens You and I are under the marching orders of the Lord Jesus to live in opposition to everything that is wrong, everything that is wicked, everything that is evil. We are to live as salt and light in this earth. We are to epitomize righteousness in this world. And so, with that in mind, let's see how the enemy will appear to us. Let's look at the characteristics of the wicked. These are warnings about the wicked. How can you detect the wicked? Well, let me just say four things about them. First of all, we're gonna see that you can detect the wicked by their will, that is what they want. Secondly, you can detect them by their ways, in other words, the way they act. Thirdly, you can detect them by the weapons which they use. And finally, you can detect them by the wages of their wickedness, what's going to happen to them. And then I want to uh, share one final word before we come to invitation time this evening about how important it is to be the righteous as opposed to the wicked. All right, how do you know the wicked? First of all, he says, the wicked are known by their will. What is the will of the wicked? Well, we see it in verse 14, so look with me at verse 14. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow... Now, here is their will. It's twofold. Number one, to cast down the poor and needy, and secondly, to slay such as be of upright conversation. Now, let's look at that very carefully. First of all, it is the will of an unrighteous or a wicked person to cast down the poor or the afflicted and the needy. In other words, to cause those who are already hurting to fail. The picture here is this. It is the the will or the desire of an unrighteous person to always in everything, now listen, seek his own advantage. A wicked person, an unrighteous person, is always ultimately down deep seeking his own advantage. Now, there may be that he would do some good things. As I said, just as righteous people do wicked things, so wicked people do good things. You may meet, a person who doesn't know Christ, who's the most giving person in all the world. You know, I I had a man say to me one time, he said, I've got a friend who's not a Christian, but he acts more Christian than some Christians that I know. Well, he wasn't with him all the time, but I know what he was saying. He's saying, here's a man who's very charitable, very loving, kind of forgiving guy, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, but he seems to epitomize a lot of the graces that I wish Christians would epitomize. But you see, ultimately, down deep in the heart of the wicked... There is this desire to do whatever they do for their own advantage. They are always looking for their advantage in everything. How am I going to win? How am I going to turn this to my advantage? How am I going to make this work for me? How can this relationship please me? Look in their marriages. Why do the marriages of wicked fail? Because they are looking for their own advantage. Uh, I read recently about a... A couple that was getting divorced, and they said, "Well, we just we just weren't living up to each other's expectations." You know what they were saying? They weren't fulfilling the advantage I was seeking. I was looking for my advantage. They didn't fulfill it, and so I'm going to divorce them. Now that's wickedness. You see, always seeking your own advantage in everything. Well, if it makes me feel good. Well, if it makes me look good. Well, if it's going to pad my pocket. Well, if it's going to help me in my position, if it's going to give me more power, in other words, if this is going to be good for me, I'll give my energies to it, but if it's not going to be good for me, I don't want to have a part of it. How many of you know folks who have to be literally rooted out of their chair to go do anything that is not to their own advantage? You see, that characterizes the wicked. They're always looking for their advantage, even when it comes to the poor and needy. He says they would like to cast down the poor and needy if there is something to be gained by doing so. But notice, secondly, he says, to slay the upright in conduct. In other words, to seek not not only the advantage that comes to themselves, but to always seek the disadvantage of those who are living by the principles of God. They always want to put them at a disadvantage, whether it's in a courtroom, whether it's in uh, the halls of Congress, Senate or Congress, whether it's in some executive position, whether it's some business, the point is not only what will be to my advantage, I'm also going to give a little bit of thought to what will disadvantage those who live by the Word of God, what will bring disadvantage to their life. And so that is the will of the wicked. And I want to tell you something, you cannot believe how many people give serious thoughts to how to bring advantage to themselves and disadvantage to believers in Christ. I mean, serious thought. Uh, the American Bar Association, and I, I, uh, I am so happy because um, we have some people in our church who are in the legal field who are attempting to change that. We have some who, who got out of the Bar Association. I think, Jim, you did, didn't you? Right? got out of the Bar Association for, for, for reasons just like this. They held, are now almost every time they meet with a large convention, they will have a session on how to sue churches. In other words, giving serious thought. And we have, we have people who are in it and trying to change it and people who have got out of it because uh, of, of their particular conviction. But, Bob, you were telling me, I believe, about uh, the, 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 he, He's out, but he's, he, he split from them. But they have courses, don't they, in how to sue churches and, and how to bring Christianity down, you see? And so this is, this is wickedness portrayed. I'm seeking the at disadvantage of believers but always looking out for me. How can I do this? And it's strictly a monetary thing, if you want to know. Well, it just strictly boils down to monetary advantage. All right, you can know the wicked, first of all, by their will. Secondly, you can know them by their ways. And this is very interesting. Look at verse 12. The wicked, notice he says here that there are two things about their ways. They plot against the just and gnash upon him with his teeth. Now, what are the ways of the wicked? First of all, they plot against the righteous. Now, it's not not a matter of just being sort of naturally against you. You see, the wicked here are portrayed as being people who seriously think about ways to undo what the righteous are doing. I mean, they give serious thought to this. I, I, I uh, uh, Periodically, people will bring me editorials that are written in a, in a local rag about me or about our church, and, and um, they had to bring them to me because I don't subscribe because I deal primarily in truth. And... Um, uh, that's not the place to look for it. But anyway, and, and I know that these are always written for an advantage to self and a disadvantage to unbelievers. Advantage to self because it's so ludicrous that the only reason you would ever write something like that, there's no substantiation for it, would be to sell the thing. And it's so ridiculous. I mean, it, it's always a, it, the purpose is to bring disfavor upon the people of God. By the way, somebody asked me, why, why, don't you, why don't you write back or why don't you refute that? Well, it's sort of, like, sort of like wrestling with a skunk. I mean, you can win, but is it worth it? Um, you know. So here, here is the point. The wicked plot against the righteous. And I have discovered this even in families. I have discovered that, that here you have a, a husband, maybe he doesn't know Christ, his wife knows Christ, and he's actually thinking of how can I make her faithfulness to Jesus look bad and destructive. How can I do that? I'm going to set people up to look bad. I've seen this happen in businesses. I'm going to set this up so that your faithfulness to Christ costs you your job. Now, you shouldn't expect it to be different. You should never expect wicked people to act like righteous people. They're not going to. And if you stoop to their level, you heard this the other night, if you stoop to their level of response, you're doing exactly the wrong thing. Say, well, if you call me a liar, I'll call you a liar. Well, that is not what Jesus did. That doesn't mean you're not to be confrontive with the truth in love. But at the same time, there are those who literally try to figure out how to make it uncomfortable for people who live by godly principles. But notice it's more than that when we think about their ways. It's an emotional issue to them. Notice here it says, they gnash at them with their teeth. Let's look at it again. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. By the way, that, that word there in the original language almost sounds like a grinding of teeth. It's charak. I don't guess they say it probably like that. They probably say charak, but it sounds like grinding of teeth. So it's an emotional issue. It's not just something I can take it or leave it. It's something that I am, I'm heated up about. Have you, ever, have you ever seen, uh, for instance, these, these people who are, who are militant in, in feminism, militant, in, for instance, in gay rights? You know, they ride up in the cameras, and they say, we're here, we're queer, we're in your face. It's an emotional issue to them. This business of, I am going to flaunt my unrighteousness. I'm going to, I'm going to make you Swallow my unrighteous. And see if I can use the Constitution, if I can use anything at hand, I am going to make you swallow my unrighteous behavior, you see. Now, here again, you don't fight that like they fight for their issues. That's not what Christ did, but you do confront. There's a way to confront in love. But the other side of that coin is you don't become like them. You see, you don't stoop to that level. That's unrighteousness. And so, here it is, the the wicked is known not only by his will, he wants to seek his advantage and the disadvantage of believers. The wicked is known by his ways. He literally thinks about this, and it's an emotional issue to him. But look at the weapons of the wicked, the weapons of the wicked. Verse 14, he mentions two kinds of weapons. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow. Now, these are two kinds of weapons, not only in their nature, but and the way that you use them. First of all, the sword is what we might call a very overt or open uh, weapon in terms of its use. I mean, a sword is something you use to fight at close range. When somebody pulls a sword on you, you know they pulled a sword on you. Uh, they're right there. They're in your face. They're gouging you with it. They're cutting you with it. They're seeking to hack you up with it. They've got a sword. It is an, it's an overt kind of a weapon. And so there is this kind of weaponry that unrighteous people use. It's the open attack, the sword, the cutting, the, the slashing. With, and, and, you know, this is how righteous people sometimes can do unrighteous things, by cutting and slashing and hurting with their words, for instance, in your own home. You know, is it possible that although you, you consider yourself to be a righteous person, are you known with a, as a person with a tongue that lacerates, that cuts, you know that pretty well if, if, if uh, the last time you got in a big discussion with your, your partner, he or she said, oh, you always get your way. What does that mean? It means you always get your way. It means that you're going to cut me up and I'm going to be bleeding so badly that you're going to win no matter what the logic is. You're going to always win. You always get your way. Why? Because you use a sword. You're overt. You whack, whack, whack. And a lot of people do that. They're overt in their attack. But notice the one you've got to watch for is Covert. It's covert. Notice, he not only takes his sword, but he also, it says, they have bent their bow. Now a bow is a covert weapon. An arrow hits you, you don't know where it came from. You can guess, but a guy can shoot you from behind, you don't even know who shot. He can shoot you obliquely from the side, you know, he, he, can, he can be over behind a bush and fire that arrow, and you can, he, you know, you suffer because of that. And it was shot at you, and you don't even know the source, you don't know where it came from. You don't even know why, just this arrow, wham, and it, it deals a blow to you. And, and righteous, uh, righteous people many times will discover that uh, in life, if they are truly seeking to live by the principles of God, that all of a sudden something will happen, they say, where did that come from? Why are you saying, you know, well, who did that? Who said that? I got a phone call a couple of weeks ago, and a, a man said, Tom said, I want to ask you, and he was asking me about some moral issue between another man and his wife in another state, and and I said, how would I know? I said, I said, number one, I said, I don't make it my business to know things like that. I, I said, secondly... If I knew, I wouldn't tell. I said, now, well, let me just go on to tell you this. That means, and I said this to the guy on the telephone, that means your reputation is as safe with me as theirs. Because if I knew, I wouldn't talk about it. And he said, well, and he named somebody else, and he said, uh, this guy said, well, you had, uh, you know, you had done, so, he said, we were in a group, and he said, yeah, you had checked into that and done some research and found out about that. And I said, where in the world did that come from? How did, why did he even say that? I didn't talk to this guy in a year. What, 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 where did that come from? And he said, well, that's what so-and-so said. I said, well, call him and have him call me, which he hasn't. I'm going to call him, just ask him, where did this come from? You see, the wicked, you know, it's one thing to go up and say, hey, I got a problem with you, whap, 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 whap. It's another thing just to say, well, you know, to start throwing people's names around or throwing your name around or or saying, well, I don't know, she probably did this because of that or he probably did this and, and they probably did that. That is the activity of the wicked covert a bow and by the way a great thing about a bow is you know you don't you, you can be mild well not with a, a bow but you can be a long way from the scene of the damage and still do the hurt that's right you can go over a long distance phone wire it can be through a rumor mill or something like that bam like that you let that go and you do damage people say who, who said that Why, what was that about You see, those are the weapons of the wicked. And by the way, they really like the bow. I'll have to tell you, they like the bow more than the sword because wicked people, by and large, are relatively cowardly. You know, they really are. Most times they're cowardly. And so they use these overt weapons and then they use covert weapons. These are the weapons of the wicked. Well, let's look at the wages of the wicked. And that's what is going to lead to the conclusion that I want to draw this evening the wages of the wicked. Why why wouldn't you want to be a wicked? Well, let's see what happens to the wicked. What happens to the wicked? First of all, look at verse 13. They received the scorn of God. You know, it's one thing for somebody else to say, I don't think you're hot stuff, but when God says, you're nothing, man. Notice what it says, the Lord shall laugh at him. That is the wicked. And by the way, the word for laugh here is a word that means, a derisive kind of laughter. Just, who does he think he is? That's the most ridiculous thing. And so it says, the Lord, here is a guy down here. He thinks he's running the world. He's bossing his family around. He's living like the devil. He's, he's, he, he thinks he's you know, king of his house, and he's abusive, and he's, he's critical, and he's cutting with his words and everything, and he thinks he's something on a stick, you know? I mean, he really thinks he is somebody big, God looks down here's this whole huge universe out before him. and, and in this vast universe, there happens to be a little uh, a little galaxy that's one of the minor galaxies called the Milky Way galaxy and and, and, and in that Milky Way galaxy, there is a minor little old bitty star called the sun and and it has a few hunks of uh, matter floating around it and one of those is called the Earth, and that thing's uh, you know, thousands of miles around, and there's, all, there's, you know, five billion people on it. And here's this guy down here, and he's saying, you better go do this, and I'm telling you this. And to God, that sounds like, you better go do this, you better go do this. And the Lord says, who do you think you are, man? What do you think you are? And so the Bible says, first of all, the Lord will laugh at him. Boy, that is not true. The Lord laughs him to scorn. It's a laugh of contempt. Notice also the Lord says to him, there's going to be a day of reckoning. You want to side with the wicked? You want to be that kind of person? That is, not choose Jesus as your Savior and live as a wicked person? Well, the day of reckoning is coming. Look at verse 13. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. And by the way, this is is a little play on words, but the word for day here is the word yom, and it means in the warm hours. And if you really want to play on the words, the Lord knows that his warm time's coming. It's going to heat up in the kitchen. His day is coming. Actually, it is the day of reckoning with God. The Lord says, don't you, the Bible says there's going to come a day when the secrets of a person's heart will be known. Everything spoken in secret will be made public. there come a day when the wicked will stand before God. there come a day, we call it the, the great white throne judgment when the books will be opened, and another book, which is the book of life. And their names will not be written in the Lamb's book of life because they have evidenced that. As a matter of fact, they never received Christ as their Savior. So their names are not there in the Lamb's book of life, weren't there to begin with, never in there. And so they're judged out of the things written in the books, which are either the law or a record of their works. And by the keeping of the law is no man justified. God, God is looking at this guy who thinks that he's in charge of his world and he sees him out here running along this world. He knows he's got a head-on collision with an almighty God. He's going to spend his forever in hell. His day of reckoning is coming. Notice also his weapons will be turned against him and he will lose his, they, they will be rendered powerless. Look at verse 15. Their sword shall enter their own heart. They're trying to cut you up. They end up cutting themselves up and their bows shall be broken. Their weapons will be turned on them and rendered powerless. Everything that they thought they were using to hurt, you know, they'll begin to learn the law of the harvest. What you sow is what you reap. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this just in the, in the lifetime of a person, how they have sown discord, and how they have sown rumors, and how they have sown strife, and how they have sown criticism, and how they have plotted and gnashed the teeth, the overthrow of the righteous and the end, it has all turned against them, and they have gone down in flames. Everything that they, they were using has, has lost its power, has lost its strength. Then their own strength will fail. Boy, I mean, this is getting bad. The scorn of God, a day of reckoning, their weapons are turned against them, then their own strength will fail. Look at verse 17. The arms of the wicked shall be broken. Now, the arms here are used figuratively, uh, to to refer to strength. And the breaking doesn't mean he's going to come up and grab a guy by the arm and break his arm. It's like saying, well, we broke the back of that team. Well, that doesn't mean we went out there and broke everybody's back and left them on the field. It just means we, we, we rendered them powerless. We broke the back of the enemy. Well, we rendered them powerless, okay? And so here where it says their arms, that which they are so proud of, their arms will be broken. In other words, their strength is going to fail. there come a time when these people who think they've got everything on their side realize they don't have everything on their side. I'll tell you, you take a guy, for instance, who flaunts homosexuality and who brags about it and who takes out the sword of his tongue and begins to lash out at you by saying, you're wrong and you're not open and and you're a bigot, and the Bible is not true, and begins to cut, and then gets to be part of a group that starts shooting these uh, shooting these arrows, you know, sometimes, I'll tell you, we've had to have our phone numbers changed on occasion. I'll get up to preach a message like this message, it'll be on television, or it'll be on the radio, and I could tell you, my, we'll start getting obscene phone calls, and, and uh, uh, all kinds of weird things, you know, will happen. And, and you just say, where did this come from? Why are they doing this? Well, they get their group and they start talking about, you know, well, that pastor up there, he doesn't like this. And so they start doing it. You know what's going to happen? The, the time comes, though, you see. Time just goes on. And God may move exceedingly slow. The Bible says, or not the Bible says, but, but if you read the Bible, you see what someone has said is true. That is, the wheels of God may move exceedingly slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. See, the end of the day comes when, when all that power, all that pompousness, all that arrogance, you're up there and you've got a phone call and you're in a hospital room with somebody who, bless his heart, has lost his strength and his body's covered with sores and he realizes, you know, I'm going to go out to eternity and what I need is Christ. And my whole lifestyle, everything I've flaunted has brought me to this. And then, see, it's important that I share the gospel in love and not in bitterness and in scorn and use his same weapons. You see, it's important that that I love because this is the moment when his strength has failed. What happens if he doesn't turn to Jesus when his strength fails? Anybody. What happens if he doesn't turn to Jesus? He will perish. Look at verse 15. The sword will enter his own heart. Over and over again, it says this in Psalm 37. Look at verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither is the green herb. Look at the verse 38. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off they perish. So it's important. Every one of these, when they, when they begin to fail and when things begin, if you if you, listen, are you listening? If you have been ugly, and unchristlike in your battle, which you need and I need to mount a battle against all wickedness, but if we have been ugly and unchristlike in our battle, do you think they're going to call upon us in their day of weakness and failure? The answer to that is no. And so in the battle which is heated, which is, which is, is definitely heated, we must operate according to Christian principles so that in the end a person will say, I... I know this, they will love me. I know the way they have dealt with me. I know how I've dealt with them, but I know they have dealt with me in such a fashion that in my day of failure, they will love me. They won't love what I did, but they will love me. Whatever the problem is, alcoholism, drugs, or some kind of perverted lifestyle, whatever it is, but they will love me. Because, listen, friend, that person is going to go to hell just like you would go to hell if it weren't for Christ. Neither you nor he or she is going to get to heaven apart from receiving Christ as Savior. And so that brings me to the conclusion of this thought that's sort of in a cluster here, and that's a word to the wise. We've looked at the will of the wicked and the ways of the wicked and the weapons of the wicked and the wages of the wicked, but let's look at a word to the wise. What is the word to the wise? A little that a righteous man has, verse 16, is better than the riches of many wicked. You know what seems to characterize wicked people? This is why I think believers, this is really sort of a gut check for believers. It's not just wickedness, it just seems like they get by with it. Have you ever noticed that? And live rather handsomely in their wickedness. You know, they say, well, it really bothers me, you know, wicked is all get out, but look where they live, look what they wear, look what they drive. You know I mean Look at all, it says their eyes stand out with fatness in Psalm 73. I mean, these people seem to have everything going their way and it's so stinking, uh, aggravating. And and so you look out here and you say, boy, you know, at least I could have a little bit of that. But it says here, listen, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. You get a big crowd of wicked and all that they have gotten by their wickedness what you have received as a result of righteousness, the word here better means is sweeter or more pleasant. Uh, it says in the book of Proverbs, it says it like this, the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. But what you, you can go to bed, you can go to sleep at night and you can get up in the morning knowing you've, you've defrauded no one, and you've cheated no one and you live by the principles of God and you owe no, owe no man anything but to love him. And, and the little that you have, it may seem little to you, but you see, what you have in your heart is what they're striving to get the wrong way and will never get. See, they're looking really for what you have, and they can't get it because they're looking in all the, well, what does the song say? In all the wrong places. And so the little, you know... Uh, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. It, it really, it really, uh, it amazes me how much we have sometimes to still be discontent. Sometimes I, I look at the way we live. I live, but we drive, you know. Clothes, I, if, if I had nothing but the clothes that I have on right now. And... Um, Oh, it's just, God is just lavish, and I know it's, it's, it has nothing to do with deserving it, but, but I want to tell you something. I don't believe there is a, a millionaire, a billionaire in this world who enjoys life, to whom life is, is more sweet than it is to me. I mean, life is sweet to me. I, I, do not, I don't have to worry when I go to bed if I've lied or if I've cheated somebody out of anything, and, and if, if I have ever done anything that's hurt somebody, I hope before I go to bed at night, I've tried to deal with that, because the Bible says, "Don't let the sun go down in your anger." But we, but, but there's such a discontentment, and we people are just striving. And, and listen, young people, man, God bless you. Know you come and you're so faithful, and I know, you, the temptation is to say, "Man, I've got the whole reason I'm in this world is for my advantage." and I've just got to get more, and if I had more and wore better and lived better, I could be happier. I, I want to tell you something. Uh, just by word of personal testimony, here's a family that had it, sold it or gave it away, took more than a two-thirds of a, of a salary cut and went off to Africa, came back from Africa, had, had after 16 years of marriage, uh, uh, 16 boxes, about this big. That's all we own when we got back. I turn around and look and see, you know, the way that God has blessed us. And I want, uh, But what I want to tell you is this. Through all of that, that junk has had nothing to do with our happiness. Take it or leave it. It's not yours anyway, and you're not going to go to heaven with it. In just a few moments, we're going to stand together. This is really just...